0: Welcome to the Political R&D Podcast. I'm Robbie Krieger-Smith. And podcast i am robbie krieger smith
1: and i am Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. We bring political analysis and commentary on events in Alberta and Canadian politics.
0: We discuss policy and look for expert insights into topics relevant to government, policy makers, and issues that face voters. Hi Deirdre. (laughs) This is episode 5 and we are recording on April 23rd, 2019. Today we're discussing the Alberta election outcome, highlights and lowlights of the campaign, and we'll talk about what a UCP government might look like for Alberta.
1: Awesome. Well, first let's start with, I want to talk about how you're feeling, whether or not you feel like you're ready to move forward or not.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I think I am. Obviously, I was pretty disappointed on the night of the election with the outcome. I knew that as the campaign went on, things were tightening and going to be more difficult, um, especially for the Alberta Party, which, as everybody knows, I have a quite personal attachment to. Um, But I wasn't really surprised with the outcome we did the agree or disagree podcast with Kevin Olinick uh, a couple of days before the election, and I had predicted that the UCP was going to win. I did think that the results were going to be closer than they wound up being. Mm-hmm. Um, I had anticipated, or expected, or hoped for United Conservative Minority, mm-hmm. um, but uh, definitely there was an expectation on my part that there would not not be a lot of oxygen or a lot of space for third and fourth parties. Um, I just didn't anticipate that the polarization would be so strong and that the messaging around vote splitting and whatnot would be so effective that it would completely shut out the Liberals and the Alberta party. Mm -hmm. How about yourself?
1: Well... I, I had high hopes. Um, I don't. I I hate thinking that it's actually because I wanted it to happen that there would be a minority government that that the NDP would pull ahead. Um, I I hate thinking that I was solely going on feelings <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because you know I like my numbers, but uh, I. I honestly, I didn't see it coming as much. Like, I, I did think that the Alberta Party would be down again to one seat. But it was unexpected that they were uh, completely left out. I did fully expect the Liberals to be completely left out. That uh, that was not a shock. but And Derek Fildebrandt. His numbers were a complete shock to me.
0: Yeah, he was even beat by the Alberta party.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, I, like I said, like I was on the door, like I went on the doors with him, right? I thought he was uh, Lila Here's greatest competition. I mean, people supported him. Like, like the majority of doors we went to, people supported him. And... So he he said, too, though, when they were doing their get out the vote that uh, that they couldn't get a hold of people or people weren't getting back to them. And uh, Derek said the next day that he got a number of messages from people that just said, you know, I'm I was so I was so worried that maybe the NDP might get in that I voted for Leela. Mm. So he he had a lot of people, I guess, get cold feet at the ballot box.
0: Yeah, we, we experienced some of that. I was working with Mo Hall's campaign, which um, was the, in terms of vote share and total votes, was the fourth strongest uh, for the Alberta party. And we had identified around 5,500 votes, um, but our total vote total actually only came in just slightly above 3,000. And um, okay. and there was quite a few people that messaged and it was the opposite in Edmonton. They were worried about a uh, UCP candidate getting in or mm-hmm. the UCP. And so <laughs> when it came down to it, they actually decided to vote for the more progressive option, which was the NDP, because they believed that that was the only way to keep the UCP out.
1: OK, so let's actually we'll we'll jump ahead and then come back to the talking about the campaigns, but it's a great segue to talk about whether or not there was a vote split, because, like, what, what do you think? I mean, the numbers, the numbers are actually kind of awesome, because there were 14 (laughs) close races. Yeah. So, in 14 races, uh, was it not a clear majority for one, uh, or yeah where where the other votes didn't matter in those 14 close races exactly half of them went to the UCP and half of them went to the NDP
0: mm, which that's interesting
1: it is right like that's that kind of tells you exactly where the Alberta party is that they're exactly in the right spot to me um,
0: so i haven't looked at that breakdown specifically on the provincial scale If the Alberta Party's votes were to go one way or the other, would that have made a difference in those close races to who would have been the victor?
1: Yes. Uh, So what I did, because I did go riding by riding uh, in Calgary. So there was Calgary Curry, Elbow, Falcon Ridge, Klein and Varsity, all of which were close enough that if the Alberta party hadn't been there, then it may have been, you know, it could have gone the other way. So uh, all of those in Calgary went to the UCP, but it was by less than what the Alberta party got. And Mm. I did go through all of the other parties as well. And just to see if it could have been upset by someone else uh, because I will say that on election night a message came in to the Lethbridge West uh Facebook page and luckily Zach got it because I was not planning to be so nice. But uh and, and the the message was, you know, thanks to you, the NDP is going to win in Lethbridge West. And so I I that was one that I really looked at and actually that was because that one was so close. Um it was less than or sorry it was just just over 200 votes but so the accusation that the alberta party which zach ended up with 1764 votes uh it no one's accusing the liberal party who took 460 or the alberta independence party who took 332
0: Mm -hmm. technically
1: you could say like that any of the votes that went to the other parties could have helped out, you know, whichever candidate you wanted to win. Um, but, you know, no one's going to accuse the Liberal Party of splitting the vote between the UCP and NDP. No one's going to accuse the Alberta Independence Party of splitting the vote between the UCP and the NDP. It's, I, I think I think that that might actually also be beneficial. People have a very good idea of where the Alberta Party sits. And that is in between the two of them.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, are sixty percent of Alberta party voters more progressive or more conservative? Right. Right. And that—that's a question I've really been asking myself. Um, quite a bit is, you know, what are the demographics of the voters of the Alberta party, and my gut tells me that it's probably 60, 65% conservative, progressive conservative, and probably 35 to 40% liberal or NDP centrist. Um, And having done a polling kind of workshop with Janet Brown, who did the CBC's Road Ahead uh, polling project, Kind of validated that to me because when you look at the second choices of both UCP voters and and NDP voters, the Alberta party was the second choice for a majority of them. But there Mm was more people in terms of raw number in the UCP that would consider voting Alberta party than there was in the NDP. So but it's an interesting thing because people assume and it was the argument that both parties used in the election is that a vote for the Alberta Party was a vote for either Rachel Notley or a vote for Jason Kenney. Right. <laughs> and I don't know how it could be both.
1: And so what do you think, like, um, because this was interesting kind of before the election. I remember, um, I don't remember exactly who it was, but somebody had said to me, uh, you know, if if the Alberta Party is shut out, you know, see you at the NDP, or see you in the NDP, whatever. And, yeah. yeah. And the thing is that since it was shut out, and I took a couple of days. I took a couple of days away from social media. You know, kind of uh, sit back and feel whatever I had to feel about it. Um, and the thing is, I could never support. A party that would defend Mark Smith as a candidate Yeah So the UCP is A no go The NDP While I Like I I don't think I had few issues With them During their uh, During their term I felt like You know they had a really rough go they didn't have a lot to work with and I felt like they tried really hard and I did not disagree with any of their social policies. So, you know, I, I would say, I would say that maybe there, maybe I could go there, but the thing is (laughs) I am not left enough and I know this just based on being at the convention and, uh, and and being around really hardcore NDP supporters, I I don't fit. I do not fit. I am not that left. I care about social responsibility. I believe in social responsibility, but I I I'm not. I'm just not left enough. Like I, I yeah. flow right to libertarian.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and I, and I, I don't think, think that Rachel do. Notley's not quite left enough for the NDP either. <laughs> and so I, th- I think that they're gonna have a bit of an identity crisis over the next ten years because Rachel Notley did pull them quite a bit to the right or to the center, mm-hmm. and the one of the things i'm most excited for looking forward to in the next 4 years is watching people like Darren Billis, like David Egan, like Shannon Phillips who were so anti oil sands and anti energy infrastructure development who out of political necessity have spent the last four years or, well, realistically, two and a half being massive boosters of the Trans Mountain pipeline and additional energy infrastructure and really having to reconcile that with their record in government and their previous actions. And it'll be really curious to see what the outcome of that is and what type of policy positions they're going to take. And I'm not sure what Rachel Notley's future looks like past four years from now. Maybe she does try to run and become premier again. If I were her, I would be looking at federal options after the next federal election because it's pretty clear short of some miracle that Jagmeet Singh is not going to be (laughs) our next prime minister. Um, Rachel Notley, outside of Alberta, was one of the most popular premiers in Canada. And maybe she's somebody who can appeal broadly to progressive voters across Canada and make the NDP more relevant outside of Alberta. And if she runs in Edmonton, Strathcona, which has been a fairly safe... NDP seat for some period of time. Maybe, maybe she's able to make the NDP a going concern nationally.
1: Yeah. No, I I fully agree. I would love to see her at the federal level. I think that she could. I think that she could do. Or sorry, she could pick up where Jack Layton left off. Yeah. She has that charisma. She has that likability. She. She's a strong personality, you know, I, I did go to one fundraiser uh, in 2018, I think, and just because I I had not yet been to an NDP event, I spent all of my time at conservative events, mostly UCP events, but um, so I had to go to one and that one was in Calgary, so I didn't have to travel as far, uh, still had to pay through the nose, but anyway... So I went I went to that and you know, she said at she gave a, a bit of a speech, welcome everyone, and she said, I want to meet each and every one of you. And she stayed. I was one of, I think that I was the last person because, you know, I I socialize. So by the time that I got up there, uh, it was definitely the the end of the evening. And um And she did. She saw every single person. And, you know, she's like, she's all of what, maybe five feet tall. (laughs) And, you know, she's just like, she's, she's not, um, what's the word? She's, she's not someone that you would meet and think, you know, she's overpowering or anything, but she has a very powerful personality and it's, and she's very gracious. And I was enamored. And I think that, I think that is a fairly common reaction to meeting her.
0: Yeah. um, My brother was dating her chief of staff for quite, quite a period of time. And he spent quite a bit of time with the premier and Mm -hmm. he was a massive fan Um, oh yeah yeah just said like very charismatic very intelligent very personable um Mm -hmm. and even though had i mean she really accomplished a great deal personally and professionally but always very down-to-earth and accessible as well so
1: yeah Yeah. she was uh, um you know i did you read preston manning's our uh, opinion article in the I don't even know where it was today, the National Post?
0: I did not. No.
1: Um, one of the things that he said was you know, how the NDP had spent their time attacking Jason Kenney. Hey, another good segue. Uh, how the NDP had spent their time attacking Jason Kenney and yet the UCP didn't, didn't go there. But the funny thing, of course, is that the UCP couldn't go there. They could not attack Rachel Notley because even though her party isn't popular, she's popular. Yeah. Like, they didn't do it because they were, you know, attending some sort of moral high ground. They didn't do it because it would have been, it would have very possibly been electoral suicide for them to do that.
0: Totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so
1: getting into. Oh, sorry.
0: Well, I was just going to say, and you even saw that in the branding of the NDP, like their candidate announcements didn't even reference NDP. They just had Rachel Notley on it. And so um, it was quite apparent that um, in the NDP, Rachel Notley was the strength of the brand. And in the UCP, it was actually quite the opposite. You had (laughs) candidates going out of their way to not mention their leader, Jason Kenney, um, and play up the UCP. So the UCP's strength is in its brand. The NDP's strength is in its leader.
1: Yes. And I just want to brag a little. I have an official Rachel Notley sign because... I guess all of the candidates got them. So there was one when I was out picking up signs because I'm just a do-gooder and really weird. But uh, so I went and picked up like not just some signs. I picked up all the signs and there was a Rachel Notley sign. So I have added it to my wall.
0: Uh Awesome. (laughs) Um,
1: But yeah, let's get into the best and worst moments of the campaign's. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know there were there were some there were some pretty nasty things that happened um but did you you know what was your feeling of the ucp's campaign
0: i think overall the ucp ran a really strong campaign and the thing that um and I'm speaking with forked tongue here a little bit that I appreciated most about the UCP campaign is just how laser focused they were on staying on message and not allowing other things to distract. And so, you know, candidate controversies, the Mark Smith comments, um, some controversy around jeremy wong who is uh the replacement candidate for calum ford and through all of it it would have been really easy to get knocked off message and to get stuck in a position where you were constantly responding to that or they were constantly responding to that but there was this laser-like focus on jobs economy and pipelines yeah. And that and that was really intelligent because in all polling those were the top three issues in this election, um, and so by not allowing distractions and I don't think they're just distractions, but I'm going to use that word to mm-hmm. get them off message or have them deviate from that message. That's a big part of for me why they did so good and why you didn't see a different outcome similar to what happened with Danielle Smith in 2012 with the Lake of Fire. How right. about for you, what was the best part of their campaign for you?
1: Um I would have to say the same like they they definitely stayed on message. Um as annoying as it was to have them cut the live feeds as soon as the reporters started asking questions, <laughs> it was smart. Right. They they were trying to control that message and that was how they were able to do it. And so I think they I mean, I've 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 always been actually fascinated with how conservatives and I I don't know if it's even just provincial parties or even if it's conservative supporters, but how they stick to one message. Uh, And I'm sure I've, I've brought this up before, but at the UCP convention back in May of 2018, Brad Wall was giving his speech and he mentioned Sarah Hoffman's sewer rats comment. And I felt right then and there, like, you know, I know the story. I know that's what they say. And the thing is, I've heard it so often, I almost believe it myself. Mm-hmm. Even though I know that's not true, <laughs> but their ability to to take something and just go with that and never deviate from it is incredible like the 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 messaging um, I don't even know what to call it but oh, messaging discipline uh, is discipline yeah it's it's incredible and I have to give them kudos for that for sure
0: yeah. Definitely, I I agree, and um, it's interesting because the Harper government was so criticized for the tight control of the message and Mm -hmm. how not transparent they were, but if the Trudeau government operated a little more like the Harper government, (laughs) we probably wouldn't have the SNC-Lavalin scandal.
1: Possibly not.
0: Yeah, so um it, it's something that i both loathe and really respect <laughs> about yeah. them which is um really funny how centrist yeah. of me exactly <laughs> yeah.
1: what about the ndp
0: um for me probably the worst part of the campaign um is definitely how negative they went and how they just never deviated from that. And there wasn't a really big focus on policy with the NDP.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And for me, when I look at a government that's campaigning or a party that's campaigning, when they spend all their time in the negative and not very much time talking about vision, talking about what they want to execute, um, what they want to deliver in a mandate. That's quite often a sign to me that they're desperate and that they're playing from behind. And this has been said quite a few times by people, but the NDP was campaigning like they were opposition.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: so when when you do that it be kind of it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy right and one of the criticisms i have of the ndp government overall too especially in the last probably about 12 to 15 months is that it seemed like they were running out of steam and there wasn't really an agenda or a vision or a plan for government it was very kind of ad hoc and reactionary and i think when you get governments that are in that space, it causes them to make poor policy decisions. And very often that's kind of, to me, the sign that a government is nearing the end of its useful shelf life.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, um, again, I, I agree, the negative campaigning, the worst thing about that, and this is something that I noticed with the UCP on Monday, actually, was that when, like, I found it difficult to disconnect between the Alberta NDP account, like on on social media, uh, the uh, the website for the Alberta NDP. I found it very difficult to disconnect between that and government. So when they took that super negative tone and and stuck with it all the way through, like. I I found that some of the tweets coming out of the Alberta NDP account, like I just, it made me cringe. And like I said, because I I couldn't disconnect the two. So I found that very troubling. And on Monday, Jason Kenney announced his transition team. And he invited everyone to go to strongandfree.ca, I believe is what it's called. And uh, when that, like when I went there and I was thinking, why, why is this like a, uh, you know, like a an arm's length website? It's not the UCP website. It's obviously not the government website. They're not there yet. But I actually kind of thought, maybe what a smart move. And again, just because of how I had felt during the campaign where I couldn't disconnect the NDP from government and so if they're going to use this this arm's length site i guess you could even say like jason kenney did with his uh official office his unite alberta account right the official account of the office of jason kenney it was arm's length away from him yet you know it was able to troll people it was able to do all of these things without really sticking to him so in a way, I feel like they—that uh, was a smart move on their part, but that was a a great difficulty for me during the campaign.
0: Mm, interesting. Yeah, I'm just kind of looking at the website, and it, um, yeah, I mean it's basically, I mean it's still got their platform. It it really is a campaign website. Um, which website? Which is the AlbertaStrongAndFree.ca.
1: Oh, it's Alberta strong and free. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah,
0: no. yeah. Um, the United Conservative Party has an incredible communications team, and I think that that's really a big part of what differentiated and helped them be so much more successful than the NDP um, in the campaign. So for me, for me, for sure, that was a low light. Was the difference um, in just how gutter the NDP was. Mm-hmm. While trying to paint the UCP as being these gutter politicians. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, how about and the Alberta actually, Party for you?
1: Um, the Alberta Party, you know, I think that they put forward some vision. I like they, the vote count increased substantially over the entire province. That was fantastic to see. Obviously, it resonated with a lot of people, but I almost feel like it... Um, and, and I don't think it's the fault of the Alberta Party. It's just the situation that they were in, which, you know, the NDP and the UCP were taking all of the oxygen. Yeah. So I I feel like... I feel like there was a decent attempt to uh, demonstrate that vision the Alberta Party had for the province, but they just couldn't get the traction.
0: Yeah, and part of the problem is that the UCP was running a campaign from basically fall of 2016 when Jason Kenney announced he was going to try and unite the right. (laughs) Right. And so there was just nonstop media coverage and awareness building. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, again, having been in the communications team of the Alberta party, it made it very hard to get regular exposure. Um, and then obviously having had a leadership race of our own, uh, relatively close to the election, that kind of distracted from doing some of the party building stuff that we needed to. But um, I mean, 170,000 votes, 171,000 is obviously good in it. I think it's a good base to build from for the party. Um, And and I mean, it's interesting, the progressive conservatives in the 2012 election had 567,000. The NDP had 127,000. So we've the Alberta party received about 50,000 more votes than the NDP did in the 2012 election, which Mm -hmm. was the last election before they formed government. So,
1: and I think as well that, you know, the, the right, the left to right. And I mean, I will be one to admit as well that the NDP did not seem to govern from the left, but there's a lot of baggage with the NDP name. Mm-hmm. They had I mean, they were fighting their federal counterpart from no was it October, or November of twenty fifteen. That's when it started and it never stopped. It was a it was an easy way to attack them. Um you know it uh, I I I put out something in twenty seventeen, I think. And said that the greatest or sorry, the biggest failure to launch this year will be if the NDP does not sever ties with the federal NDP party, because they were they were the party's worst enemy.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I just
1: I I, I don't think they can and I don't think they could, but I just it, you know, it put them in such a tough spot.
0: Well, and post-Rachel Notley, maybe Shannon Phillips, maybe Sarah Hoffman, but there's no clear successor or leader that really stands out as being able to sustain that party. And I believe that ideologically both Phillips and Hoffman who are to me, the only kind of visible successors probably align more ideologically with the federal NDP. Mm. Um, And so this is the problem with leadership centric politics um, or partisan politics is without Rachel Notley, what is the Alberta NDP? Mm -hmm. And if, it's one of those two ladies leading that party. Do they elect 24 MLAs? Probably not in my view.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think it will be tough for them. I know that there are a lot of progressives that I've spoken to who really don't want to hear that, but I think, I think it will be very difficult for the NDP to do better next time. Um, than they've done right now.
0: Yeah,
1: I I don't I don't see Albertans. I mean, you know, we had we had almost seventy one percent turnout. Mm. This was fantastic, and you know, over a million votes. Yeah, like yeah, that's no. that's huge. A, yeah, it was it was definitely huge. And so, where are you thinking? Um, this is, this is one of the things that, like, I, I took my two days, but I feel like I'm ready to move on. This is where we are now. I want to be looking at our future. How do you feel about getting ready to, you know, accept that we have a UCP government and get back to work, so to speak?
0: Well, so from a just as a citizen perspective, obviously, when you've got 71% turnout to me, that definitely indicates there's a clear mandate. And one of the phrases I hated about the whole Unite the Right movement was this accidental government thing. Mm-hmm. like um, <laughs> Second, third
1: and fourth that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so when you have 71%, there's a very clear mandate. People wanted the focus to be on jobs economy pipelines. And so Mm -hmm. the UCP has a clear mandate and I deactivated my Twitter, but I kind of reactivated it and have just been watching, but I haven't been doing anything on Twitter. And it's just, I understand why Jason Kenney coined the term over-caffeinated lefties and um, (laughs) the Twitter rage machine, because these people are setting their hair on fire about a democratically elected premier saying, not my premier. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there's definitely some unresolved questions about the legitimacy of his leadership, but there's no question about the legitimacy of his election victory. Right. And I think it's so disrespectful to the democratic process to say not my premier or that he's illegitimate as the premier. He may be illegitimate as the leader of the party, but he's not illegitimate as the leader of the, the province. And mm-hmm. so I, I really dislike that. So I'm not happy with the UCP government. I don't believe that they're going to bring the boom days back and the glory days of the late 90s or the mid 2000s but I accept the fact that the voters made a choice and that's what the choice was Mm -hmm. and what I would really like to see from the Alberta party and the NDP is a focus on smart opposition to the government and if the government proposes things that they say this is bad here's the reason why and here's what we would do differently to make it better and that's what i believe that opposition should be doing um now whether that's going to happen or not or the ndp is going to get really stuck in this jason kenney's the boogeyman and he's going to Eat babies and and kill baby deer and whatever um, remains to be seen. But if if they can really focus on, you know, they've they've got I believe it's twenty one of the reelected ministers. They've got right. people who are really good subject matter experts that have strong backgrounds and strong knowledge and now have four years of government experience, they should be one of the most effective oppositions in Alberta history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But they need to get out of this identity, personality politics trap that they've put themselves in for really the last two and a half years. And if they can do that, then maybe they become a credible option to, form government if the UCP fails again Um, but failing that I think it's incumbent upon the Alberta party to do that even if they're not represented in the legislature they need to continue to focus on providing opposition to the government providing alternative options for policy and demonstrating that they are capable of having ideas and creating a vision and I think that from that 171,000 vote kind of base that they've built now, they have an opportunity to grow that as long as they don't hide and as long as they don't become invisible and as long as they continue to make it known that they are there and what they stand for people have a bit more clarity as to what the Alberta Party stands for. So uh, my hope is that over the next three or four years that they continue to build the party that they prepare themselves for by elections that might come. I mean, we have, we know the RCMP is investigating Peter singing Calgary East. Mm-hmm. We know that the RCMP is investigating the leadership results. And so, you know what, if Jason Kenney has criminal charges pressed, I can't see a circumstance under which he's able to stay as the premier or the leader of the party while he's going through that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so the party, the Alberta party, needs to focus on controlling what it can control and being ready for any opportunities that present themselves. And then the other thing is with a really big caucus in the UCP, there's neophyte MLAs who aren't accustomed to having such tight control of their every action, their every word. And for some of them, that's going to be uncomfortable. And we saw that with the NDP, with Karen McPherson crossing, sitting as an independent, and then ultimately to the Alberta party. Uh, Stephanie McLean stepped down early from her term, and there's rumors that that was related to some of that. Um, And then uh, Robin Luff, who also left. Yeah. And so if you have that happen in the UCP, a UCP MLA that leaves that party is very unlikely to go join the NDP, but right. they might cross the floor to the Alberta party. And so whether it be via by elections or via floor crossing, there is still opportunities for, in my view, the Alberta party to. Establish some representation in the next four years in the legislature and then build off of that. So um, it, if the thought within the brain trust of the Alberta party is we're going to wait three years and then activate, they might as well just fold up shop. But if the plan is continue to operate as if we're in the legislature, let's continue to behave like an opposition party, then I think that creates opportunity.
1: No, absolutely. Absolutely and so let's get to what kind of a government you think the UCP might be
0: oh it's you know <laughs> i'm in, i'm encouraged by the early days of the Kenny government the rhetoric has really toned down mm-hmm. and they're not talking with the same incendiary Bluster. Well, yeah, the same bluster and the same incendiary dialogue that they had. And so take as an example, Jason Kenney had an interview with Rachel Notley when they were kind of talking transition. Mm. And on that day, the Trudeau government had announced that the decision on the TMX pipeline would be delayed until June, which was about two weeks later than Rachel Notley had said it. I thought it was
1: May, May 22nd.
0: Uh, so originally Notley said it was May and they've extended that now to June 18th.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that.
0: Let me just verify that quickly, but <laughs> yeah, um, I'm pretty sure it was, uh, uh, June 18th that they said the consultations would be wrapping up. Okay. Um, and so anyways, there was a delay of two or three weeks, whatever the date was. And, um, Kenny said, you know what, it's important that we get it right and not go back to the drawing board a third time and we understand why the Prime Minister has done this and it was just uncharacteristically deferential (laughs) to Trudeau. And so I think he's... Part of good political campaigns is that you whip up your base you get the money well you get the money and it's the extremes who are more motivated to volunteer donate show up that type of stuff and we all know that moderates don't tend to vote don't tend to show up don't tend to donate um But when you get into government, you need to moderate and govern from the center. So you campaign from the right or the left, and then you govern from the center. And it's what the NDP did. It's what the UCP, I expect, is going to do. Um, And so I think that you're going to see that happen and you're seeing some signs of that even on the subject to the carbon tax, Jason Kenney said, you know, if we have to have a carbon tax, Justin Trudeau's version is much better than Rachel Notley's because it is revenue neutral and the money goes back to the people who are paying it. And so if we have to have one, I would much prefer Trudeau's to Notley's. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. uh, So you're, you're seeing him definitely trying to extend some olive branches and moderate. The question for me is, what does that do for his support base? Because he's whipped up these further right factions that are socially conservative, very anti-Trudeau. And if he's seen as being too soft on Trudeau, does that alienate some of his base? But if he is too hard on Trudeau on Trudeau and the federal government and continues that incendiary dialogue, does he then alienate the moderates who have said, you know what, we're going to give him a chance because we're not NDP, we're not sure about the Alberta Party, um, and the UCP is kind of the only option that we have to get rid of Rachel Notley and her government. So, mm-hmm. so I, I think he's in a bit of a a tough place, and it's going to be a really tough um, tough tightrope for him to walk to be able to pull that off successfully and not alienate or split his party
1: right and I think that the I would say uh, as well that I am uh, I'm looking at the first few days the uh, about face that he's done and I am I'm definitely a little more optimistic about what this could mean I think that he, you know, I think I kind of agree with you that does that alienate the base, but there is no way that he has an actual base of a million people, and so what I kind of wonder, and this is again that feeling thing, were so many of us so focused on uh, his his past his voting history his you know just everything that he's done that's just gross that <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way I can say it um uh, that that we didn't notice that maybe he like is there a chance that he wasn't nearly as bad throughout all of this as uh you know I I wrote the whole time um I I know that I I took a very anti-Kenny stance because of his past, because of his voting record, because of who he's been as a politician. And, and I just, I hate to think that that somehow blinded me to the fact that other people saw him as being, you know, someone who was trustworthy and and that's kind of another thing, too. Like, as optimistic as I am, I'm looking at the last two years saying, OK, was that all crap or is this crap? Because it's not the same. So one of them is bullshit. And I don't know which one it is. Like, I, I feel like this is gaslighting on a massive scale. Well, <laughs> <And I'm- laughs> I,
0: I I'll disagree with you there that. Perhaps both are true. And the okay. thing about Kenny is is that he he's a bit of a chameleon and he's very astute politically. And it, it's kind of that old maxim that politicians will tell you anything you want to hear, right? And so I, I've even heard and firsthand observed where he's tailored his messages differently to different audiences. Same, and, yeah. And so I, I'm i a firm believer that the best predictor of future behavior is looking at previous behavior. But I also know that with the resources that Kenny has and the UCP has – they're going to go where the polls tell them to go, and where their research tells them to go and so if for example, one of the pieces of pushback was on standardized testing for schools in grade three and six and nine and the weighting of the diploma exam in grade twelve for core courses, and he had. Rolled out a platform piece that they were going to make the diploma exams worth 50% weighting in final grades, and there was massive pushback from students and parents about that, and they backtracked a couple days later. And they did. That's- I, I'm I'm a firm believer that the reason that they backtracked is because their own numbers showed that that policy was not popular enough to be sustainable and that they would have a lot of pushback from educators, parents, and students. And so I'm a firm believer that none of their principles are set in stone enough that they can't be changed by a good poll number or a bad poll number.
1: Okay. So, well, and that that's also very optimistic. Like, I'm, and, and not in a, not in a, in a, in an estimation sort of way, but it's optimistic to think that they are willing to change their course if it turns out that that's not what people want. And I mean, I can't fault that. It's part of why I, you know, ended up Alberta Party, really, is because. Because logic and facts mean something to me. Because I can change my mind. I may have been, you know, fighting something from one angle, but when the information provided shows me that I should be not doing that, I will change it. So I definitely can't fault them for that. And, and you're right, it was quick. It was very quick.
0: Yeah. I just. I'm not so sure that they're being swayed necessarily by logic and facts. I think that <laughs> th- they're being swayed by populist sentiment, which is really kind of what fueled their whole campaign. Um, and the, I'm, I, I truly believe that good political leaders lay out a vision and bring people to that vision through the power of persuasion oration and using facts and data Mm -hmm. and i don't see that with any of our leaders today okay what what i see more of is that both on the left and the right it's populist pandering and it's playing to people's kind of lowest common denominator and what their fears are and And also
1: a gut reaction that yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so um, like I said, uh, I, I, I see this being more driven by poll numbers and data and winning an election and winning every election. than I see it some firm commitment to some sort of conservative principles or, or new democratic principles, leftist principles, um, social democrat, I guess, would be the best way to term that. Um, Because if, if they truly had courage of conviction that what they believed was right, they would do a good job of selling it and convincing people and bringing people to their position. But what they're doing is they're making policy based on what their echo chambers or their research is showing is most palatable to the voters. And I don't believe that that's always good for public policy.
1: Mm. Well, no, because sometimes, I mean, there's a reason that people aren't engaged in between elections. And that's because they elect people to do the job that they think they will do. They don't, you know, I've, I've heard so many times people say, well, You know, we should we should consult. uh, We should ask our constituents. People, you know, very few people are engaged. They elected you to do a job. So do it.
0: Well, and the problem with that theory, and I see this a lot in civic politics, especially in Edmonton, is that there's this perception that you do have to engage and consult with your constituents but who are the people who are the constituents that actually will engage and will be consulted they're the ones who have a stake in a particular issue or skin in the game and so you don't actually get a fair and representative cross-section of what your constituent base is you get people who have a vested interest in seeing a particular outcome and so I so think that, that can
1: actually, really, that can skew the results of what's best for your constituency, the people that you represent, if the only people that you hear from have that vested uh, interest.
0: Totally, and it really slows down government. And for me, in a representative democracy, you should be looking at... The decision making skills of the politician that you're electing. What are the values and filters that they're going to use in order to determine the decisions that they do make? And your accountability piece is the next election. And I I just, I really am disturbed by the talk of recall legislation, the talk of direct democracy implementation, because it just, it's so vulnerable to. Populist pandering—it is very vulnerable to, and we already have this to a certain degree with social media. But it's very vulnerable to fads and trends, and not towards good governance and making policy based on what the best outcomes are. And
1: and that's if, why we elect people.
0: Yeah. Well, and even bigger than that, it it puts you in a position where minority interests aren't considered and where it really is just about what's most popular. Um, And again, sometimes what's most popular isn't what's right or what's best. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, it's a, it's a difficult thing, but sometimes being a leader means making tough decisions and then being able to defend them. And like I said, bring people to those decisions by showing it was the right decision, but With social media the way it is right now with the polarization of left and right and the rise of kind of extremist populist right movements across the world, I think we're in a little bit of a phase right now where that's going to continue to happen for, my guess is probably the next five to ten years before it kind of cools off and moderates again. So. Well, Well,
1: that was pleasant yeah <laughs> well i I will say as well, I have meant to look up Rachel Notley's speech on the night that she won in twenty fifteen because again, a little bit of optimism when Jason Kenny said that you know Edmonton because they were pretty much the only ones, but Edmonton didn't overwhelmingly vote u c p and he did say that he was going to govern for all Albertans. So again, if if this is the switch and and this is kind of where I'm sitting with the move forward, is that I'm I'm buoyed a little by what what has happened in the last week. And I'm willing to give the UCP government a chance, not because I support them, but because I kind of look back to 2015 and a lot of NDP supporters really would have appreciated the NDP being actually given a real chance. And I'm ready to do that, you know, and hope he doesn't screw up because that's not going to be good for Alberta. Uh, But... Yeah, it took me a couple of days, but I was, you know, I watched. I didn't say much on social media, but I watched, I read, I paid attention, and I was. I was ready to move on, look at today and tomorrow.
0: Yeah, I, I really liked a quote from the former leader of the Alberta Party, uh, Greg Clark, who was in Calgary Elbow, and he lost to Doug Schweitzer if the UCP came in second. Um but it kind of encapsulates really how I feel about it. And it was, I hope that Jason Kenney and the UCP are very successful because if they're successful, Alberta is successful and I'll never cheer against Alberta. I hope people are not left behind. I hope inclusion is part of the agenda. And it, it just, as an Albertan first, no matter what stripe of government we have in power, my hope is that they're successful mm-hmm. and that the province does well and that they do well. Would I prefer an Alberta party government? A hundred percent, I would. But <laughs> if the UCP fails miserably and Alberta has another four years of really, alienation, well, alienation, stagnation, um, you know, people feeling like they can't get ahead, that's not good for anybody. And it, it does harm to the province that I've chose to make my home. And right. so, you know, as much as I dislike Jason Kenney in his history, I would love to see him truly be a different person and lead in a different way that benefits all Albertans and that helps our province succeed. And uh, so, like I said, I, I just think Greg's Clark, Ah, uh, Greg's quote was just very astute and very statesmanlike for somebody that had just lost, uh you know, a big election to somebody that he was quite vociferously opposed to. So,
1: yeah, no, and I, I agree. I'm, you know, I, I do kind of wonder if that's an al, if that's an Alberta Party thing. If that's kind of a, a centrist point of view that. You know, between the NDP and the UCP, I I had a horse in the race. It wasn't them. So, you know, maybe we can bounce back a little faster.
0: Yeah, totally. For sure.
1: Well, I think that is as good a place to leave it as any. This yeah, is a good chat.
0: Yeah, really good chat. Uh, so we're going to be on the Agree or Disagree podcast with Kevin Olenek tomorrow night to yep. also add some uh, context and commentary on the Alberta election. And we're also going to have some other guests joining us. Uh, it looks like a, a fairly good sized panel. So if people want, they can also check out that podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Perfect. Have a great night.
1: Thank you, you too.
0: Thanks for joining us today. This has been the Political R&D Podcast with Robbie Krieger-Smith
1: and Deirdre Mitchell-McLean.
0: Deirdre, where can people find you online?
1: They can find me on Twitter at Mitchell underscore AB.
0: And you can find me online at RKS Alberta. The Political R&D podcast can be found on Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, Pocket Cast, and Stitcher.
1: And you can also find Political R&D on Twitter at Political R N D. Goodbye, Robbie.
0: Goodbye, Deirdre. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>